So we're almost done uh, with our series on Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, today we are up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 47. Uh, long passage, a lot of names. We'll, we'll get to it in a second. But to help you stick with the reading and pay attention to what's going on, note every time in the passage the word thanks or thanksgiving or gratitude, those kinds of things are mentioned in the text to kind of give you an anchor for what's going on. So the, the wall has been built and the people of God are gathering there to kind of dedicate uh, the wall around uh, Jerusalem. So before I read the text, uh, let me pray and uh, we'll, we'll jump in on it uh, this morning. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you thanking you for uh, this picture of your people celebrating the completion of this great project. Uh, it's, it was uh, the, the whole reason why Nehemiah returned uh, to Jerusalem and now the wall is done and the people gather to worship and to dedicate it, to consecrate it. So, uh, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, be our teacher today by your spirit of what uh, you did and uh, what you are doing as we look at this worship service that your people held there in Jerusalem. So bless us now, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So remember, be looking for the words thankful, thanks, thanks, thanksgiving as we, uh, as we read through the text. Nehemiah 12 verses 27 through 47. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophthalites, that's a good one, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Ju- Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachor, son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and the gate of Ishana and the, by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniman, Micaiah, Eloianai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonahan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. 
For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Um, so, uh, Claire, go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So we're finally to the kind of the pinnacle of the book. The whole point of why Nehemiah left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem was to build this wall. And as the wall is finally built, uh, they've had their celebrations, the Feast of Booze, all their prayer meetings, their worship services, and now it's time to dedicate uh, and consecrate the wall. And so what they do is they set up two groups of people, two musical groups, two choirs, and one goes one direction, one goes the other, and then they converge together uh, at uh, at the temple, right? And so uh, there's a couple of things for us to think about about this. Now, you may be the kind of person who thinks, why in the world would you ever consecrate or dedicate a building? One building is not more holy than another. One place on this planet is not more holy than another. You know that, right? I mean, the the, the fact is we, we kind of... We kind of uh, uh, apply those kinds of things to things. We think, oh, this is a really holy space, and this space over here, not so holy. But the fact is, wherever God is and wherever the, his people are is a holy place, right? Um, uh, and uh, at the same time, as we recognize that, there are things for us to recognize that God gives his people physical manifestations, physical things where they can see and participate actually in his blessing. So for seven and a half years, we did not have a church building. We worshiped uh, at uh, uh, Quiacuson Middle School. Uh, We packed our church up in a uh, Buick station wagon and a trailer week in, week out. Some of you guys did that. Remember that? It was uh, what a great time. What a great time, right? And so we purchased this building, and when we purchased this building, we redid this uh, first floor. And after we moved into it in December of 2000, uh, we had a dedication service. I don't know if any of you were here for that or any of you even remember that, but we went from post to post, the four posts at the four corners in the building, and at each one we stopped, read a passage of Scripture, and we sang about four different aspects of what we prayed and hoped that God would do in and through this building, right? So now you may look at this building and you may think, wow, it's so ugly. doesn't look like a church. Um, uh, it was a store. Uh, even within the last couple of weeks, we've had people come and, and look at things here and say, do you realize that wall out front is broken? <laughs> no, really? Really? We just, huh, yeah. Uh, that wall was built like that so that it would look like nature was taking the building back over. The first time I ever came in this building to buy a, a car seat for a baby, um, uh, there were wild chickens out there. 
in uh, that area. Crazy, crazy to think about. No wild chickens out there now, but maybe some wild other things. Uh, so, so the fact, so the fact of the matter is, there's nothing inherently holy about this building except the fact that God has given this to his people. He meets with his people here. We gather together in worship and we have this place that he's given us that we can, that, that we can, uh, gather together and we recognize that God meets with us. Here and we meet with one another. We fellowship here. We have this space, and so it's a good thing to to kind of set it aside, to de- to dedicate it, and to ask God to uh, bless us and to bless His people. Well, that's what's happening here. Finally, the wall has been built, and the people gather together. This big project they've been working for and being working at for all these months. It's finally done, and it's time to dedicate it, time to uh, recognize and celebrate the goodness of God in building the building, right? So there are four things to note about uh, what's going on here. And the first thing is something that you might have missed as you tried to visualize the trumpets and the cymbals and all of this stuff going on. It's in verse 30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So the very first thing that they do as they gather the people together to start this worship service is they have these rites of purification. Now, it doesn't tell us here what they did, but we know that in the Old Testament, uh, there were sacrifices, there were ritual washings where people used water, and uh, uh, there were periods of time that as they purified themselves that they abstained from certain things, right? So... This is an important thing for us to understand. This is the part of worship that we miss, that we don't think about very much, right? You probably are thinking this morning that the biggest obstacle to your worship is the thing on your face, right? The mask. I mean, I watch people, you know, fiddle with it. I watch people... uh you know, pulling on it, and I watch people uh, you know, doing all of those things, you know, the wearing them incorrectly, and, uh, you know, got to take a break, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Singing into it is so dumb. I mean, you know, there's, it's such a distraction, right? And so we think, and, and, and many of you on the live stream, you're staying at home because you can't do it. You've told me you can't worship with a mask. You're not going to do it, right? I hear you. I don't like it either. I was at the grocery store yesterday, and uh, people were particularly aggressive at my grocery store yesterday. And uh, that tempted me that everybody who was aggressive with me, who was wearing their mask incorrectly, gave me an opportunity to correct them, right? Because if I'm wearing mine right, you better wear yours right, right? So it's a pain, no doubt about it. The, the fact of the matter is, the mask, God doesn't care that you're wearing a mask. He cares that you're uncomfortable. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like the virus. But in terms of worship, the mask is no impediment. The impediment, the obstacle to worship is you. Your sin. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? And that's, that's a startling thing. 
right, at, at first, because you think, wait a minute, how can that be an obstacle? I'm here, you know. I, I love to come to church. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm engaged. I'm involved. And I, you know, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm one of these people who's actually here and doing it and all of that kind of stuff. There is no, there is that, you know, I'm not the obstacle. But the fact is, what we recognize here is, is, uh, that worship is only acceptable because Jesus makes a way. Right? Because the, the thing that must happen to us to come into the presence of a holy God, to gather before Him, to worship Him is, is that God has to do something for us. We have to be purified. We have to be consecrated. We have to be, uh, uh, work has to be done on our behalf. We have to be made righteous, right? And so the, the, the humbling and yet freeing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is that Jesus does that work for His people. He has made a way. He makes it so that when we gather together uh, as the people of God, when we pray to him, when we sing to him, the, the, the quality of our voices or the, the quality of our, our clothes or our quality of the way we're presenting ourselves, the qual- quality of any of those things really aren't the key issue. The key issue is, has Jesus made a way for you? Has he, by shedding his blood for you, dying your death and rising again for you, purified you? Because objectively, that is the case for those of us who are in Christ. We have been purified. And because of that, we now have freedom to come into worship instead of trying to think of how we can purify ourselves or make ourselves better or do some sort of outward ritual that's going to make our worship acceptable. If you're in Christ today and you come to him and you walk into this place, he, his, your worship is acceptable because he makes it acceptable. You don't make it acceptable. You don't make it good. He's already done the purification. He's already done that consecration for you. And there's great freedom in that. One of the things that keeps people away from worship is a guilty conscience. The gospel cleanses us from a guilty conscience and sets us free to come before him, to be his people in freedom and in joy and thanksgiving. These people aren't perfect. And this rite of consecration that they do here doesn't, doesn't actually cleanse them of anything except that it reminds them that the work of Christ, that the work of God must be first and foremost to purify us, to clean us, to make our worship acceptable, right? And so you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm not very clean today. Well, Jesus makes you clean. He doesn't sit back and wait for you to clean yourself up. Because you could never do that. He does that work for us. So the work of purification was done for you and was done for these people. Uh, this, this, this work that they do here of cleaning themselves up, of purifying themselves, is simply pointing ahead to the work that Jesus will do for us. Because his work of purification spans time and space. And his cross purified them just as it purifies us. So have joy this morning and freedom and worship because you don't have to work yourself up or feel a certain way or, or, or do something like that to make your worship acceptable. If you're in Christ, Jesus has already done that. Secondly, notice the music, right? So we read here that there are cymbals, harps, and lyres. There are trumpets uh, uh, along with choirs, right? And it was loud. It says that... Um, uh, they offered great sacrifices. They rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. 
So as they as they gather together there and they sing and they do this, it's a it's a loud, joyful uh, 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 service as the, the choirs are going one way and going another way and being led by these instruments and all these singers uh, with the sacrifices and the smells and the uh, all of that stuff. It is a it's a and the incense. It's a it's a dynamic, beautiful thing that people hear all the way around Jerusalem. Right. Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, sometimes in the, in the church, <clears throat> we debate about instruments, you know, what's, what's a good instrument and what's, what's a bad instrument. Um, uh, I, I grew up in, in a, in a church where, um, uh, saxophones in particular were viewed as an instrument of the devil. Did you know that? Cause it, it, the sound of a saxophone tempts people to do things they shouldn't do. You, you, is that not crazy? So what does a clarinet do? What does, what does an oboe do? What does an organ do, right? So, so the fact is that the, the reality is that the instrumentation, the instruments really don't, don't matter a whole lot. They, they take whatever they have. They take the instruments that David had and, and that they use, and they, and they use those instruments to accompany what they're doing. And it's a loud, joyful, awesome procession. The question is, you know, what what do you think they sung? What 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 did they sing? Right. Well, I think one of the songs that they sang. Uh, uh, next slide, please, Clara, is uh, Psalm 48, which I think would have been a great psalm to go with this. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. I mean, it's a pretty profound thing. They could have gathered there for this uh, 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 dedication service. And as they sang, they could have said, you know, we, we really need to recognize Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and we really need to elevate Ezra and Nehemiah because they, they, without them, this would not be possible. Right? Uh, that we kind of. And, and Ezra and Nehemiah were, were certainly used by God and certainly servants and their, their gifts of leadership and that sort of thing helped to ha- this to happen. But the fact is, these people are here to worship God because God did this. They recognize that as, as they gather together there and as they walk about Zion and they look at the wall and they do all of these things, it's, they, they want to see here. It's not that, that this is something that they sacrifice for and that they accomplish so much as this is what our God has done. He accomplished this. Yes, he used us. Yes, he used our gifts and our sacrifices and, and our people to do this. But when we look at the wall, we see God. We see his work. We see what it is that that he has done to do this. And this wall, the very fact that it exists there and that they're worshiping here is bears witness, uh, not just to the people around who can hear the worship service, but to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. When we point to the work of God, we should be especially careful and clear to point that out to the next generation so that the next generation knows, hey, there's a God and this God did this thing. He accomplished this. He used our people. He he did this work and we should be moved and and encouraged that he does that. We tend to think of God's work as just right now. But God God does things right now 
for the second and the third and the fourth generation to come so that there's a witness here, a testimony here to the goodness and the power and the grace of this God. And so I'm sure as these people walked around the walls, that was an opportunity for them to point out to their kids and so that their kids one day would point out to their grandkids to say, our God did this. We were an exiled people. We were no people at all. And God restored us and he brought us back here. And this wall and this temple are evidences that our God is faithful to his promises and he did that. So it's an important thing to bear witness to that. So their worship bears witness to that. The very structures that they built bear witness to that, not just to them, but the succeeding generations as well. The other thing to note about this is that gratitude and thanksgiving are key. It's repeated over and over again. Over and over again. Uh, it's, a th- it's a time of joy. And that joy comes from the fact that they're grateful and they're thankful that their God has been faithful to accomplish this. So um, Thanksgiving, gratitude, ultimately leads to joy. Now, what robs us of the ability to have gratitude, what robs us of the ability to have Thanksgiving most often is comparison. Right? Because God places something in your hand, something that he deems is for you. This is his gift. This is his thing for you. And you look at it and you think, you lift your eyes and you look at what somebody else has. And you think, I'd rather have that. When you do that, it's real hard to be grateful <laughs> because you're envying and you're kind of uh, uh, devaluing the thing that God has given you. Remember when the people moved back and they rebuilt the temple and there was the generation that had been there as little kids who had seen the original temple and they cried because the new temple was lame. <laughs> It wasn't anything as cool and big and dynamic as this temple. Well, I'm sure there could have been people who had been here who said, my grandfather and my great-grandfather said that the walls around the city of Jerusalem were impressive. This is not impressive. That would have been a real downer in the worship service. If you're trying to blow a trumpet or pick a, a, a harp or a lyre or clash some cymbals and the guy next to you is like, this wall is not as good as the old wall. That would have been a damper, right? That would have been a real damper, right? So anytime we, we think, you know, one of the things that robs us of joy is the fact that we play the comparison game. And the comparison game leads to envy or pride. Because on the one hand, you may think, well, I'd like to have what they have. I'd like to have what their kids have. I'd like to have what their family has. I'd like to have what that person has. Or it may lead to the pride that says, hey, I look over here and I'm like, I'm better than they are. I got better than they do, right? There's no gratitude in that. There's no thanksgiving in that. And ultimately, there's no joy in that, right? Uh 
there's only a sense of you comparing yourself with someone else. Well, here we are, you know, we're in, we're in these kind of situation now where we have every opportunity to compare each other's responses to the pandemic, each other's responses to what's, how our families are doing education and how we're doing this and how we're doing that. And the fact is that's robbing many of us of joy. But when I look at the gift, the thing that God has placed in my hand, and I see it as a gift from him, uh, that he was mindful of me, that he sees me, that in his kind providence and grace, this is what he's given me. It moves me to gratitude because I'm not looking at anything else. I'm not thinking about anybody else's gifts or I'm simply grateful for what God has given me. So one of the reasons why there's great gratitude, great joy, and great thanksgiving here is because the people are focused on, this is what our God did. This is how he blessed. Because the gospel is always true, even on your worst day. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. Even if you're tempted to think what you have is less than. Right. So so it's one of the things that is profound for us in this is, is that the source of joy ultimately comes from being content and grateful for the thing that God has given us. Right. So that's one of the drivers of the joy of this service. And then lastly, what happens is the people, because of their joy, because of their gratitude and because they're gathered together in this 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 great worship service, this great opportunity to dedicate this wall, they realize, you know, this needs to happen. This needs to continue, that the worship of God, that the ministry of the temple is such an important thing, such a key thing, right, that we want to make sure that it happens and we will sacrifice and give to make sure that what is needed for this worship to continue, for this work of God to continue among the people, that he'll do that, right? that they'll give, that they'll pour it out, that they'll make sure that the temple functions and that the people of God can gather together for worship, right? Uh, over the last six months, uh, this congregation has been very faithful to give, uh, maybe more so than in any time of our existence. Uh, there's much to be grateful for, much to be joyful about in that. Uh, and uh, the temptation in that uh, is to be self-satisfied on the one hand, to be fearful, uh, or to just simply grow tired, right? Uh, it's, it was interesting, it's interesting to me this morning to wake up and feel the cool air outside. It's fall. And so you're like, wow, you know, I'd forgotten that the seasons change. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, just, I, I get disoriented by that, but I, I, you know, because we're in the middle of the pandemic, we're in the middle of a, a season of unrest in our country that you think, well, you know, these other things that happen aren't going to happen because I'm so focused on that. And I got up this morning and I went out on our back porch with my cup of coffee and I'm like, wow, it's actually cool out here. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. It is September. And God is still sovereignly at work. Summer, winter, springtime. He's still moving the calendar along. He's still at work. And because of that, uh, it moves me in gratitude that he hasn't deserted his people. And it moves me in joy to trust him to continue to be generous. To continue to be faithful. To continue to see even though it is there are many challenges and, and many difficulties in this season. Uh, that God's not dead. The gospel's still true. The church and the kingdom of God still advances, even in the middle of challenging circumstances. And the great news and the the startling thing to me in all of that is, I get to participate in this. You get to participate in the great work of God that he is doing in 2020. Uh, somebody uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic wrote me and says, I know this is going to be really hard for you. This is going to be really challenging for you. Uh, as a pastor, this is not what you signed up for. And uh, I said back to them, oh, you're absolutely wrong. This is what I signed up for. It's what we all signed up for, right? Right? Um, and and so... Uh, if I think this is not what I signed up for, I'm not going to have a lot of gratitude. And I'm certainly not going to have a lot of joy. And I'm certainly not going to have a lot of generosity. But if I can see the hand of God and I can remember the mercy of God, even in the midst of this, it settles my heart, reminds me what has always been true is still true. And moves me to respond in grace and generosity. Let's pray that God would continue to do that uh, in and through his people. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you today for uh, this picture we see of your work and your people there uh, in Jerusalem. This uh, worship service, this service of dedication that you led. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah to lead the people through. Would you bless us? Lord, you you know our weakness, you know our fatigue. Uh, we face an academic year of great uncertainty. I know there's a lot of frustration. I know there's a lot of fear, uh, anger, temptation to bitterness, temptation to accusation, temptation to compare. Boy, just a real lack of patience uh, in families. Um, Lord, it's it's got to be... Uh, um, well, it's just a profound time for us. Uh, but it is precisely for times like these that the gospel rings the truest because the need is the greatest. And so would you uh, sink that into our hearts and minds? Uh, show us the cross and remind us that the gospel is still true, or that you are not dead that you purify a people to yourself and you delight in them and you delight in their worship. 
Help us with that uh, today, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together as we use this confession uh, printed in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Heavenly Father, loving King, all of our sins are laid bare before your eyes. We love ourselves, but not those around us. We have nursed anger and envy and have forsaken your humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. We tie our joy to our circumstances rather than to your gospel. We repent of our fruitless wanderings and ask that you renew us in Jesus Christ. Let us hear your voice saying, Awake and rise. His blood is your peace. His death is your life. His spirit is your power. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and persuade us that a life lived in your service is a life of perfect freedom. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <laughs> 